Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is a Disney deep diver, a nearly birthday buddy, and has now, quote unquote, made me watch 11 movies for three episodes of this podcast. He has fired up his engine today to come to the defense of Cars 2, the worst received movie in Pixar's least heralded film franchise. Everyone is wrong, but Kevin Parker isn't. Thanks for coming back on, Kevin. Thank you, Seth, for having me again. Happy belated birthday. Yes, happy belated birthday to you, even though uh, we saw each other briefly before then. So we kind of got the pre and now we get the post. So I figure we'll just hop right into this. Let's get into the background of Cars 2. Cars 2 is a 2011 CGI animated film from Pixar and Disney. It's the sequel to 2006's Cars and the predecessor of 2017's Cars 3. That's how numbering sequels works. The film was directed by John Lasseter, he who directed the Toy Stories 1 and 2, A Bug's Life, and Cars, and who has since been removed from Pixar after a workplace sexual misconduct. The film has a screenplay by Ben Queen, and it follows this world where cars are sentient beings but essentially exist in a world that resembles our world. The central figure of this world is Lightning McQueen, voiced by Owen Wilson, who is a stock car racer. Over the course of the first Cars film, he finds himself stranded in the remote desert town of Radiator Springs. There he finds a podunk best friend tow truck mater, Larry the Cable Guy, a Porsche girlfriend, Sally, Bonnie Hunt, a grumpy old racing legend turned mentor, Doc Hudson, Paul Newman, and a colorful crew of other Radiator Springs pals. Cars 2 finds McQueen pulled out of his restful times in Radiator Springs when billionaire Sir Miles Axelrod, voiced by Eddie Izzard, starts a worldwide race series to promote his new alternative fuel, all in all, McQueen is egged on by a cocky, open-wheeled Italian racer, Francesco Bernoulli, voiced by John Turturro. McQueen begrudgingly brings along Mater for the first race in Japan, but at a pre-race party, Mater unknowingly becomes involved in a spy plot when a spy attaches a tracking beacon to him in the bathroom when he's in dire straits. Mater soon gets scooped up by Finn McMissile, Michael Caine, and his assistant Holly Shiftwell, Emily Mortimer, who think Mater is the real spy. Mater's idiot savant antics prove useful as the spies uncover a dangerous plot surrounding the race series McQueen is a part of and the alternative fuel source, which seems to be causing racers to crash in fiery explosions. Cars 2 was released on June 24th, 2011, and was a box office hit, making almost $560 million against a $200 million budget. It's pretty easily the biggest box office haul in the series, with the original Cars bringing in $480 million, and Cars 3, quote-unquote, only making $383 million. It was nominated for the Best Animated Feature at the Golden Globes, but not at the Oscars. So, Kevin, what was your personal experience with Cars 2? 
Um, yeah, so I wasn't a huge fan of the first Cars. I know a lot of people consider Cars 2 as the moment where Pixar kind of started losing their magic touch. They'd made nothing but hits up to that point. Uh, but I really felt like they started losing it with the first Cars movie. I wasn't as wild about their next couple movies after that um, as most people were. And so by the time of Cars 2, I was not even going to see it because it got bad reviews. Then I read a certain uh, champion of this channel's uh, or champion of this podcast's positive review of it, which I'm yeah, sure we'll get. We'll, we'll probably get to that one. And uh, that inspired me to check it out because that was exactly what I was hoping for from a Cars movie that I didn't get from the first one. And I wouldn't say Cars 2 is a great movie. It's definitely a kid's movie. It's definitely got a pretty dumb script. And a lot of the dialogue is very forced and obvious and a lot of the characters are rather two-dimensional but i do think that cars 2 is what this franchise should have been uh and i wish there were more kids movies like it especially if you're going to make a kids movie a movie that is directed specifically at children rather than at families like pixar usually makes family movies but the cars movies are kids movies you that's not to say you can't enjoy them but they're aimed at a lower reading level and I think if you're going to make a movie like that, Cars 2 is a better template for how to make that movie. I understand that. I want to stress your point. Basically, Pixar started on one of the craziest runs you can ever imagine a studio making. So here's the order of Pixar movies from 1995 up until Cars 2 in 2011. It was Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, which, as you say, was the might have been the first misstep in 2006, Ratatouille, Wally, -E, Up, Toy Story 3, and then Cars 2. So, you know, if you, if you were one of those people, like a lot of the reviews we'll get to, that sort of gave Cars 1 kind of a pass... It's weird to whitewash that, but regardless, like the Cars movies are the two that very clearly do not fit with all those other ones in terms of just like the way that they're generally held up as just really elite cinema and the type of movies that are just like, and we'll also get to this, like a shoe in to win like best animated feature every year. It's like, oh, Pixar's releasing a movie. Well, that's going to win. So why? Is anybody even trying? And that sort of yeah, they would even they joke about that at the Oscars before the Pixar movie won. The whoever was presenting it would make a joke about how Pixar is going to win again, and that was just kind of the the accepted standard. And I think Cars, the first one, was the first one not to win, if I'm remembering correctly, since they put in the animated feature category. And then Cars Two was the first one that didn't even get nominated. So. It, felt like they were slipping a little with those two, but pretty much every other one of those movies was considered the far out best animated movie of its respective year and on most people's top 10 lists at the end of the year. Yeah, Cars lost to Happy Feet the year that it came out. Yeah, which so. I think I remember being a surprise. I think I had Cars on my ballot that year, but it was close. Yeah, I mean, neither of those are the, you know, peak and that's not a peak animation year. If no. uh, your top two contenders are Cars and Happy Feet, as opposed to like, I mean, also the animated feature sometimes gets a little bit wonky where it's like last year, Belle wasn't even 
nominated for best animated feature, which is a joke, but that's a digression for another time. Um, so let's get into a little bit of the critical response to Cars 2 since we're kind of talking about it and uh, stepping around it or wheeling around it, so to speak. The Cars series has always been kind of viewed as Pixar's low point, but that's also somewhat comparative, as we were talking about, because it was just like string of classic movies. The original Cars sits at a fresh 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, 73% among top critics with a 79% audience score. And then the sequel to this one, Cars 3, also was positive on both accounts with a very nice 69% among critics and the audience with a barely fresh 63% among top critics. But Cars 2 is not nearly as well liked on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 39% score, actually higher among top critics at 41% and is not beloved by the majority of audiences either with a 49% audience score. And here's what some of the critics had to say about Cars 2. A lot of the conversation was sort of that Pixar comparison, and Vulture's Logan Hill opened his review with this. Even Pixar sometimes makes a lemon. It's not that Cars 2 won't get you or really your average nine-year-old boy from point A to point B somewhat entertainingly, but by Pixar's outrageous standards of Oscar Shewin virtuosity, the sequel is a disappointment at best. Leah Rosen echoed those sentiments in the rap saying, don't tell the kids, but Santa Claus isn't real and Pixar is fallible. Kyle Smith in his New York Post review titled, Puts the Drag in Racing, wrote, they said it couldn't be done, but Pixar proved naysayers wrong when it made its first bad movie, Cars. Now it has worsened itself with the even more awful Cars 2. Another contention of people at the time was the Cars franchise sort of felt like the first like very merchandise-heavy franchise, even though Toy Story literally is about <laughs> toys. Uh, it just felt more from an authentic point, I feel like a lot of people felt like, so... Derek Adams sort of pointed that out in his timeout review where he opined as a means to flog merchandise, Cars 2 ticks all the boxes, but as a character led film, it doesn't work time perhaps for the franchise to be towed off to the scrapyard. Sorry, Pixar. Another point of contention. A lot of people had was they did not like that. The Mater character was the star in this film with his spy antics being more of the central thing than McQueen's racing the New York Times A.O. Scott penned at this sarcastic quip Mater is dumb excitable and puppy dog loyal his idiot savant automotive expertise grounded in humble blue collar simplicity I doubt anyone will protest much but Pixar now has found its redneck Jar Jar Binks such a proud <laughs> moment Mary F. Poles at Time Magazine was more blunt this is a Mater movie. It's a Mater-thon. I would call it Materific if it didn't leave me longing for Wally's robot to crush him into a silent cube. <laughs> Not very nice to Mater. But there were some positives. Again, it actually had a higher score among top critics than the run-of-the-mill critics, even though it was still well below 50%. 
Andrew O'Hare of Salon wrote, Cars 2 might be a better James Bond film than five or six of the actual James Bond films. And the fact that yep. its hero is a bucktooth redneck tow truck without a hood does nothing to detract from its admittedly modest appeal. Sarah Michelle Fetters of Movie Freak said, Capturing the spirit of old Saturday morning cartoons, most notably of the Hanna-Barbera variety, the movie is a witty adventure kids will adore and parents will get a pretty decent kick out of. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone gave the movie three and a half out of four stars and wrote, I blow a piston whenever 2006's Cars gets trashed as the runt of the Pixar litter. The sequel is a tire-burning burst of action and fun with a beating heart under its hood. And of course, someone gave it a three and a half star review. Kevin, who do you think that would be? Was it uh, Gene Siskel? It might have been the opposite of that, and you know that. <laughs> I'm just going to hold up two thumbs while you read this. Okay, this is uh, Roger Ebert, of course, the patron saint of this podcast giving it a three and a half star review and he kind of just connected with the childhood wonder as he often does in a lot of these malign movies while i was watching cars 2 an elusive nostalgia tugged at my mind no i wasn't remembering pixar's original cars from 2006 this was something more deeply buried and finally in the middle of one of the movie's sensational grand prix races it came to me I was sitting on the floor of my bedroom many years ago with some toy cars lined up in front of me while I used my hands to race them around the floor and in the air. Meanwhile, making that noise kids make by swooshing spit around in their mouths. In this memory, I was completely engrossed with my cars. They were as real as people and I played favorites and identified one car as my surrogate. Maybe my hands were swooping around with toys, but my imagination was somewhere else, and I performed the dialogue for the cars. Oh yeah? Take that. We'll see. Yow! This memory was not random. I think it was inspired by the spirit of John Lasseter's movie. I believe, in some sense, the great animator was sitting Indian-style on the floor of his Pixar playroom, and hurtling his cars through time and space with sublime reckless delight. We learn from cars that Lasseter loves automobiles, and here we learn they can serve him as avatars in an international racing and spy thriller as wacky as a Bond picture crossed with Daffy Duck. So Kevin, why is everyone wrong about Cars 2? Uh, everybody except Roger Ebert is wrong because they missed the whole point of making a movie about cars. Yeah, so I, I read that review and I thought, okay, I'm going to check this out now because I also used to play with my toy cars a lot as a kid and I would zoom them around and crash them into each other. I had one that was the main protagonist most of the time and one that was the main sidekick and one that was the villain and one that was the wise and sage. And a couple of them were girls, but not very many. <laughs> and I loved telling all these stories with my cars and they were always big outlandish action superhero spy stories. I never would have told the story where all the cars are just cars that go around a racetrack and win races. And I definitely never would have told the story where one of the cars goes back to small town America on Route 66 and learns to appreciate the slow life. So for me, if I'm gonna watch a bunch of cars zooming around the screen in fantastic computer generated imagery, I want a big ridiculous action story and uh, this completely delivers. 
I was explaining to a group of friends at a party, and I think you were there several years ago, uh, why I love this movie. And I talked about specifically that uh, Cars 1 is just a boring race car movie. Cars 2 is a spy movie and it does so many cool spy things and it uses all these intricate spy details. And I was saying, really, every kid's movie should just be about spies because it works so well for a kid's movie format. And one of our friends interrupted me and said, Kevin, you fraud. I was talking to you two weeks ago and you were saying this exact same speech about Home Alone 3. This isn't an original take. You're just reusing that. And it's true. And I came on the podcast last time and talked about why Home Alone 3 is better because every kid's movie is better with spies. And that's going to be my same first point of contention for Cars 2, that every kid's movie should be a spy movie or at least may as well have some fun spy-like elements to it. Yeah. If you were having deja vu, that's because you might have listened to our Home Alone 3 podcast. But yeah, essentially, while Cars 1 is sort of this sort of weird Route 66 nostalgia movie. This is a pure spy adventure for kids. There's a lot of parallels between, I don't know, some of the almost like more of the get smart style where it's just like the spy's kind of dumb because Mater is not a super, he doesn't realize that he's a spy for part of this and the spies don't realize he's not a spy for a large part of this, but you know, in comparison to just being a traditional, you know, sort of nostalgic sports movie or something like that, it does offer a very different take than what you probably were expecting from a Cars movie. Like, there's car murders in here and car torture. So scenes. many murders. <laughs> and, oh, I didn't, I didn't list that as a separate point, but I will say the murders are one of my favorite elements of this movie. They're all beautifully done. <laughs> Well, do you have a favorite car murder in this film? Well, okay. So yeah, just for a point of how different that if you've seen Cars 1 and maybe Cars 3, or you've seen enough about the Cars movies to think you've got a vibe of them, Cars 2 opens with uh, Michael Caine's car, a British spy car named Finn McMissile. And he's meeting up at a rendezvous with one of his other spy cars that he's supposed to get information from. And they've been spying on this group of villains and he's trying to find where he is, and he's, he's watching from the rafters, and the villains are down there talking about their plan, and they reveal that they caught the other spy, and he's like, oh, no. And they're like, here's that other spy, and they bring in a car-shaped box, and it's like, oh, they've got him in prison. And they open the box, and it's just a cubed car. Yes. And it's a he's great visual pun. It's grotesque, but it's hilarious. It's not too gruesome because it's a kid's, you know, it's a car, and it's not a character we really know, so it's not... You know, it's like, yes, this character was killed, but it's not like we watched Lightning McQueen get killed, but it also utilizes the genre of them being cars in a way that nothing in the first movie ever did. It establishes that, yeah, these cars have mortality and you can do things to them that will permanently damage them. And it just feels like such a great gotcha moment that suddenly we're in a gangster movie where a car got murdered sleeping with the fishes style or whatever that equivalent is in this universe. And then instantly from that moment, uh, Finn McMissile is suspended between four like tightrope uh, wires. So he's watching from above and suddenly there's an explosion behind him and the light casts a shadow and you see his shadow just come on 
suddenly in front of all the villains and they see him and they look down at the shadow and then they look up and they see him and they say, it's Finn McMissile. And then he has to drive away in this spectacular sequence where he swings down and goes all around and blows a whole bunch of them up and just instantly launches into this action scene so quickly after doing that big reveal. And it tells you so much about the movie, about the tone. It tells you about his character. We don't know how famous Finn McMissile is, but it's like, oh, okay, this is a James Bond level spy. This is going to be our hero character for a period of the film. So it's just very fun, efficient, with teeth comedy. Like the first movie just felt like it had no bite to it. It felt like it wasn't willing to take any chances or do anything that might actually kind of make you clasp your heart a little bit. But it still felt like it had that tone. Like it wasn't that grotesque that it was, you know, going to actually upset anyone. It just kind of pulls the rug out from under you and makes you think, oh, I'm watching a very different movie now. And there's a whole bunch of scenes like that. Yeah, cars, there's the scene later on of a car getting killed that's just him getting blown up by the device that's going to blow up a bunch of cars later on Mm -hmm. and you just watch it in a reflection screen with Mater in the screen because he's revealing it's complicated plot but he's revealing that he uh he passed off a MacGuffin to Mater that made him made the British spies think he's the main American spy and so you're watching the character you care about, and then in the reflection, just out of full focus, you see the character you don't care as much about, but that is still a good guy, blow up and burst into flames just in the light behind him. So again, it's careful enough. It's not showing you something that's too violent to belong in a Cars movie, but it does suddenly feel like, oh, okay, we are just comfortably in a different genre. We're not hopping in and out and kind of sticking our toe in the waters. We're not saying, what if we did a kind of spy-themed thing with the Cars characters? We are fully in a spy movie that just happens to feature the other characters that we've met before. And I feel like that's the best kind of way to do a sequel is just completely change up why we're watching this movie and say, hey, you like those characters? You like playing with the car toys? Let's see what else they can do now. Right. So the movie starts with the this spy sequence, but then it sort of transitions right into this worldwide race series. And, you know, going in blind, it would be pretty easy to be like, oh, so this is just going to be like a worldwide race series. And there's going to be sort of this subplot over here of this spy stuff because we're going to follow Lightning McQueen because he's our protagonist. And instead it sort of flips and the racing thing is very much a secondary subplot to the actual spycraft. Yeah, we care very little and increasingly little as the movie goes on about who actually wins any of the races. And I feel like that becomes one of the film's best attributes um, as it goes along, that we really aren't concerned with winning or losing because we already learned in the first movie that it doesn't matter who wins or loses. That's not what racing's about. And so now we can start to explore different elements of this universe that we are freed from uh, the constraints of the first movie. Yeah. So then the, you know, the elements of the spy and the elements of this international race series, I think lead into your second point of defense for cars two. Yeah. Which is that uh, the world building is so much better uh, in cars two than in any of the other cars movies. There's a quote from Glenn Keane that I love. He's one of the Disney animators of the Renaissance era. And he said, Disney is about once upon a time. Pixar is about wouldn't it be cool if. And I feel like that perfectly captures 
what you want out of a Pixar movie. You want not just a high concept idea for the movie, but something that then leads you to say, oh, okay, how would that work? So wouldn't it be cool if your toys came to life when you weren't looking? Right. Wouldn't it be cool if the monsters in your closet had a whole city that was powered by your screams? Wouldn't it be cool if the emotions inside of your head all had individual personalities and controlled your feelings? And so then within that, you instantly think as soon as you hear that, okay, oh, how was how would that work? How big is their city? How big is their society? What are the rules? Does anyone break the rules? What happens to them if they do? What are all the different functions and mechanics to how this all works? And so a good Pixar movie is one that can take that initial premise and then explore it in all those different directions. So with that in mind, the premise of the first Cars movie is wouldn't it be cool if there was a world that was entirely populated by cars? So far, so good. But then all they did was all the same things cars do in regular life. That's also the premise of Cars 3. That's also the premise of both Planes movies. But the premise of Cars 2 is wouldn't it be cool if there was a world entirely populated by cars and they traveled around the globe and uncovered conspiracies and violently killed each other and got into all kinds of car antics that you wouldn't think necessarily cars would do. But since it's a world populated by cars, we can see that. And so I feel like it just in just in those first 10 minutes, we see so much more of what this world can be than we see in all the rest of the cars media put together in cars too. We just we travel around the world. So yeah, it's the Grand Prix. So we've got this idea that McQueen has to travel to different countries. And then you combine that with this tourist element that, you know, spy is always the tourism porn uh, idea of like, oh, we're going to go to different places and right. just we're gonna see go to Japan, all these... and We're going to go to Paris yeah. and we're going to go to Italy. And yeah, and it's doing a James Bond thing. Yeah. Like the first movie, the settings are essentially racetrack, interstate, and this, this small town in the desert. And that's sort of like it. Yeah. And so you can't really think about what this universe actually is because it doesn't have any sort of mechanics that don't exist in the real world. And, you know, you anytime that they don't have a car pun, basically, that they can make, they just say that the thing is whatever the thing is in our universe. So they go to California and it's just California. It doesn't have another name. It's just Route 66. One of the characters listen to, listens to Jimi Hendrix and it's just Jimi Hendrix. And it's like, yeah, if they can think of a good pun, then they'll say, oh, it's car Jimi Hendrix. But there's no other place where it actually has any substantial difference from how the same movie would be with live action actors. And so based on that, you can't actually expand that in any direction. You can only do things that would exist in a movie that's already about cars. So Cars 2 just completely destroys that and says, we're going to show as much of this universe as we possibly can. And it picks the two different genres that allow for that and then just instantly shows you, okay, not just in terms of places we go, but in terms of types of car that we meet, in terms of things that a car can do. Cars have spy gadgets now, so what kind of spy gadgets can they use? What can they deploy that doesn't defy the physics that we've already established, but that still plays into this idea of them as fun, malleable objects? What kind of activities can they partake in, not just 
driving down the road and talking to each other. We can see them going to shows. We can see them going to museums. We can see them performing with street artists. Right. And so we just see so many different things and it gives you so much more opportunity to get that real Pixar juice of like, oh, okay, the first you know half hour of every Pixar movie should be how does this work? Oh, it's so fun to see all the little things that they've set up for how this universe works, for how it's maintained and how nobody knows that this is the case. And so I just, I feel like this is the only one that actually feels like a real Pixar movie in that sense. Yeah. And even the things, you know, you're talking about that element of in the first movie, they're just cars doing like sort of mundane things. And, you know, they sort of do like the human corollaries for, a lot of the things in this movie, but it's still just like more fun going to like those international locations. Like, Oh, Japan has the weird, super advanced bidet toilets. And they have like, you know, that like hotel vending machines with weird things in them. And like the stacked hotel style things. And Mm -hmm. Paris has like roundabouts and, uh, you know, cathedrals, which, I would like to get into the theology of cars, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a blasphemy. We do also car see God. the Pope show up in a in a, a Pope mobile. In a Pope mobile, the Pope is a technically a Pope mobile because he's a mobile and he's the Pope. But then there's a Pope mobile for the Pope mobile. I don't know. It's yeah. and they make a reference to the Pope mobile. They say is the Pope mobile Catholic, implying that the Pope mobile inside is the one referred to as the Pope Mobile. So then what do they call the the vehicle that carries the Pope Mobile? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of... I think we'll dive into this maybe in the next point, but there's a lot of weird things about this universe. Um, but yeah, even, <laughs> even like the world, you know, kind of sort of the world building element about like, essentially it's revealed that the bad guys are all lemons, you know, just bad cars and, you know, mm-hmm. cars with all these issues that it's like, oh, that's a fun way to work in like sort of like a real world aspect of cars. But like also something that like wouldn't exist totally in like the human realm. I mean, like you could be like, yes. oh, this is like, I don't know, um, you know, a marginalized group somehow like people born with birth defects or something like that. But it like works much more seamlessly in the cars realm where it's just like, Oh yeah, all these cars are, you know, again, built wrong again. How do the etymology of this all is a little strange, but like, these are all the cars that are bitter because they have these issues and now they're banding together to cause global panic and make profit. There are some, you know, I watched a lot of YouTube videos leading up to this and people's hot takes on cars and people have said like, oh, it's, you know, actually a metaphor for disabled people or it's actually a race metaphor or whatever. But when Pixar does that, at least intentionally, you know, it. they're not that subtle about it. It's done elegantly, but it's it's not meant to go over anyone's right. head. Except this, was, this was not like a stealth, like. Because then also they're the bad guys. It's not a stealth like disabled yeah, people are, are evil uh, movie. Yeah. And so everything in the first Cars movie, you know what it's one to one human equivalent is. Like there's no character, you know, nothing car specific that's not supposed to be that version of that thing in the real universe. Athletes are 
cars, you know, a race car is just a race car driver. A tow truck is just a tow truck driver. But there's so much stuff in the second Cars movie that is specific to them being cars and that doesn't hold up if you try and apply it to just existing in the human world. And so it actually feels like another lived-in universe. And it's sloppy. It's not fully thought out. There's a lot of questions raised that aren't answered, but that's fine because you have a movie that is constantly looking to explore new ideas and show you different things. And so if it shows you something that doesn't make sense, that still leaves the possibility that they might address it later. We might see Carr's religion in a second movie if they were all made like this, but instead the third movie just goes back to the exact same formula of the first one and doesn't show us anything. So it does feel weird and out of place that we see all this information, but having that kind of manic collect as much information as you can idea and mentality is what makes a Pixar movie work. Just seeing so much going on and saying, oh, I wonder how that would function. I wonder what you can do there. I wonder how they live there. It, it's so much fun. And it's so rewarding on repeat viewings in a way that the other ones aren't. Yeah. And I think we, we're sort of stepping around what your third point is. So we might as well just like directly address that. Yeah, so third point is that the cars are characters in this one instead of just being cars. And that, you know, I wrote this down as an animation point, but it extends into the way it's written and the way it's filmed as well. The cars in the first movie don't do anything that cars wouldn't do, but then they also behave like human characters. So it gets really weird and uncanny whenever you try and have them do something that a car can't do whenever you have them move in a certain way or try and be affectionate with each other or physical. Like, but I, I hate the scene in the first movie right at the beginning where Lightning McQueen sticks his tongue out because it's like, why does he have a tongue? What, what's the yeah, rule that of, allows there he, to be a He sticks a ton his tongue, tongue out to like get to the race line, the finish line, so that it's like a tie between them. But it's just very. Yeah, so first he sticks it out just as a joke. And then it becomes an actual plot point. And you're like, how is that a plot point if these are cars? Like, why, if they have some human organs, then you have to explain that or you have to say what the difference is there. And none of that kind of thing bothers me in Cars 2 because the, the characters feel like they just move with such more fluidity to them. Their action is much more dynamic and diverse in terms of how it's shot. The settings are all much more kind of amenable to their being different action and different kinds of scenes that we see. So it doesn't feel like it's limited to just showing us cars the way we're used to seeing cars. Right. Like Finn, the Michael Caine spy, it's like, oh, he engages in like hand-to-hand combat, which essentially <laughs> is like wheel-to-fender combat, you know? It, so it's mm. like they're, the cars are fighting each other and they're able to like, you know, use gadgets and trigger things and all this sort of things that are more corollaries to not just being stuck to the road, as you kind of alluded to. Yeah, and I feel like that's the biggest problem with the Cars movies in general is that they don't actually decide, the first and the third at least, don't ever decide what the rules are. And we, you know, we're in a universe that doesn't have humans in it, so it's an alternate reality, but so much of what's in this universe is just the exact same as it would be in the human universe that if you spend any time at all saying, how did that get developed? How did that get built? How are cars born? Do cars feel pain? Do right. they, can they die? The whole cars world is like a ghoulish nightmare. If you try and like stop to think <laughs> about it for a little bit, like how you, you, you stayed a lot of it, but it's just like, 
And some of it's so weird, like Lightning McQueen is not a stock car, but he's on the stock car race like tour. And then like in the third movie, other cars come in and they're athletes. But then like, are their tires like shoes and they need to change their shoes all the time? Yes. Oh, that's, you know, like things like that. It's sort of like a, uh, you know, there are things that aren't human that are also carish. Like tractors are like cattle. Yeah. There are, you know, big rigs and airplanes and things like that where the cars go into them, but they are also sentient like mm-hmm. vehicles where it's like, okay, does that mean like, are they being transported like internally inside them? Is this like smuggling drugs up across the border by <laughs> sticking them in places you don't want to talk about? Actually, the, the, I think the freakiest one in the first car is that there's car bugs. Yes. Like there's just like <laughs> little tiny cars Actual with bugs. wings like that are bugs, but it would be like, Okay, if we're doing one to one, that'd be like if like insects had human bodies and we're just flying around with little wings and we're yeah. still like that big. <laughs> and there's like demolition derbies, which it's just like, is this like a street fighter like fight to the death? There's so many things about this world that are just yeah. so weird and just like do not get addressed sort of at all because it's like it's a kid's movie and it's animated. But, like, you could do, like, a David Cronenberg Cars movie that would be quite terrifying and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely how I feel. And it's not how I feel watching the second one because it moves so fast that it doesn't really allow you time to think about any of those things. Yeah, you just seen how much it can pack in. But every time they introduce something, like, every time a character gets a paint job, I lose my mind like i can't receive them as the same character in my brain because i don't believe that they have a soul because they haven't established where it would be like at the end of the last movie lightning gets a paint job to look like doc hudson from the first movie paul newman's character his mentor and it's like okay so that's played like it's a tribute but in in this universe that's like a vertigo style like absorbing it's like liberace like having his like boyfriend get plastic surgery to like look like him yeah exactly like whenever a car with like detaches their back end or something like that i'm like is that part of your body is it are you in half now what's going on what is what is the like tow cable in mater like what is that like yeah (laughs) There's, there's a lot. Anyway, yes, Cars is a freakish reality. But again, that's but why it's, Cars 2 it's dwells on it by far the least. Like, it's also, it's giving you the least time to, like, sit back and dwell on, like, what's happening because it's moving quick. But also, it's just, like, there's less things that make you go, like, what the hell is this corollary here? I really think Cars might have been better if it was just set on, like, another planet. And just, like, establish that. Like, it's like the Transformers. Like, they have their own planets out there, and this is it. But it's just like, oh, no, we are, like, in the United States. We are in Japan. Yeah, very firmly in the United States. Yeah, there's a a little moment in the third one where McQueen goes and meets a couple of the older racers, like the early pioneers of the sport, and a couple of them are meant to be representative of real 
figures, and one of them is based on Wendell Scott, who was one of the first black NASCAR drivers who like broke a lot of barriers. And you wouldn't know it unless you kind of think about it, but the they have a line where like he's talking to one of the female race cars and she's saying, Yeah, the two of us really had to break down barriers to make an impact in this sport. And they don't explicitly say, but she says it's because she's female. She doesn't say why it would be a problem for, for him. him. Right. And so it's like, okay, so he's racially coded. That's fine. There are other racially coded characters in There's the universe. All like two of, in the first movie, it's like there are two two minority characters and they are a couple in Radio Springs and that's sort of it. There's a lot of, I mean, I might get into this at the junk drawer segment, but there's a lot of like weird, like conservative undertones throughout these movies that sort of fit with like NASCAR audiences, but like, yeah, anyway. The main, if there's a central through line to at least Cars 1 and 3, it's change is terrible and America used to be better. Um, But uh, yeah, but it's like, okay, so you you can't, like you can say, oh, they, I was prejudiced against because I'm a certain type of car and it's a metaphor, it's a Zootopia thing, but you can't not say that part of it and just have it be, yes, I was prejudiced against because I'm coded black and human racism exists in this universe as well. And then like that just becomes really problematic if you start saying like, yeah, these characters have these same problems and we're going to kind of give you a couple little Easter egg throwaway lines to imply that they're going on, but not actually explore them in any depth. Right. So, and they can that's change just a their, little example as you were saying, they can change their the time. skin and like they essentially like can look different by just getting a paint job. So like, what are they like? I yeah. What are they being racist against? against like how do they even know yeah i don't know it's it's an odd um yeah because it's yeah like gender exists in this universe and it's you know the same as regular human gender for the most part but like you can't apply that in all directions and the more you kind of throw something out there to suggest that that's what you're doing the more doors it opens that need to be closed before you can move on from it and it just doesn't feel like there's any concern for that in really any of them, but especially the first and third one, that they're just going to establish all these ideas of like, yes, get it? This is what the human world is like. Get it? See, we bypassed Route 66 just to have more efficient travel. And it's like, yeah, again, the problem is that people want to be able to commute faster and, you know, use less gas. But the, Yeah, there's also the weird, like, thing, again, about, like, how are these cars born? What is going on? Like, there's a line when, like, McQueen in the first movie is, you know, talking to Sally and trying to figure out who she is. And she's a Porsche. She's like, oh, do you come from, like, sort of, it's something to the equivalent of, like, do you come from money or, like, a fancy family? Because it's like, oh, she's a Porsche. And then, like, you know, Mater is the redneck and he's, like, broken down. And it's just, like, this weird, like, so are you, like, born cat is it like a caste system where you're like born a crappy car if you have less money i it's all anyway yeah we should we should move on to your uh move on to your fourth point before we get we can dive back into the some of this in the junk door probably yeah 
Uh, yeah, so fourth point is that Mater is the protagonist in this one rather than the sidekick, and I think he works much better as a protagonist than as a sidekick. Um, I think you've got a character who is the classic annoying Disney side character who's comic relief, but, you know, is more for the kids than the grown-ups. Mm-hmm. They've had varying success with a lot of those. Mater is probably on the more annoying side, but he's not more annoying than the rest of the movie, so he's mostly gotten a pass. But conventional wisdom says if you want to make the movie better, put him in less of it. Do the Jar Jar Binks thing and just slowly phase him out of the franchise until he's gone. But this one goes the opposite direction and says, what if we make him the protagonist? Now suddenly we've got that character who was annoying because we always knew what he was going to say. We always knew how he was going to serve the story. He was going to say an awkward thing and people were going to laugh at him until slowly he shows a little more value at the end. There's one scene where the protagonist realizes that he's actually a pretty good guy or has some quality that he didn't perceive in him and then he becomes friends with him. But you put Mater in the protagonist chair and suddenly I have no idea what's going to happen in this movie. I don't know how he reacts when the world is on his shoulders. I don't know how he reacts when he's got a bomb strapped to him and he's got to be a hero. So suddenly it becomes a much less predictable film. And instead of him just having to prove his value once, so we can be like, oh, we actually misjudged him as a character, he has to prove his value in every single scene. We have to constantly be reminded why we like him and why we're watching him. And so they do that while staying true to the character by showing all the ways that's like, yeah, this actually is a character that we, the filmmakers, like. He is the one that the animators said they liked working with the most because he had the most different moving parts and most things they could do with him. But show us, yeah, why does he deserve to be in this role? What is he good at? What is Where is his intelligence? Where is his inner logic? And I feel like constantly throughout the movie, he shows it. So even in though if you found him annoying in the first movie, you're going to find him annoying in the second movie, right. he's much more likely to surprise you in this one and to actually take you in a direction that you weren't expecting him to take you. I feel like that works a lot better. Right. I feel like... You know, maybe a good corollary for this is Finding Dory, because that's another Mm -hmm. one where it's like the comic sidekick is now the lead character. And I feel like this one at least feels a lot more distinct than Finding Dory. Like it's just like, oh, this is a completely different movie because the sidekick is in the lead role as opposed to Finding Dory. And, you know, it's also the, you know, as it was mentioned up top, that like Jar Jar Binks corollary where it's like, you know, a lot of people are just turned off and don't like it. And then if you give them more, that's going to be worse. But also I'm of the very minority opinion that like as problematic as Jar Jar may be also the Phantom Menace is a lot is pretty dull without him in it. So it's just like, oh, actually, you know, they probably could have been used a little bit more of Jar Jar in the (laughs) subsequent films. I mean, certainly episode two couldn't have been worse with more Jar Jar. I don't think so there's all that and also just the fact that like part of it is Lightning McQueen and we'll get to this in a moment but like Mater is dumb but like Lightning McQueen is also dumb yes so it's not like this huge it's not like you know if you made Jar Jar the lead of episode two that'd be weird because it's just like I would much rather be like figuring out like what Obi-Wan is up to because it's just like Mm -hmm. oh Obi-Wan's like this interesting character and, you know, has this smart Jedi wisdom and can do all these things as opposed to being just like sort of a, you know, throwback physical comedy character. 
But with Mater and McQueen, they're sort of equals if you look at it objectively. If you did give the presentation, like, they're both just not really on top of things and miss a lot of the things that other people said and aren't good at picking up on cues. Like, there's a whole sequence here where basically McQueen shuns Mater for embarrassing him at the party and then goes away and they don't know that he's out on these big spy adventures. And then Mater comes and tries to save him from a bomb and turns out the bomb is planted on Mater. So he tries to run away from Lightning and Lightning's just like not picking up on it for like three minutes of like, look, and it's all sort of a little bit of the like who's on first like wordplay misunderstanding. But it is like, dude, just like back off for like one second and this problem is resolved. But no, that's not going to happen. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with, you know, I'm not a huge fan of any of these movies, but I certainly don't have a problem with Mater being the lead over McQueen. It's not like diluting the Cars franchise. It is actually generally more entertaining than McQueen being front and center. Yeah, and we see, you know, little ways like one of the hardest elements to swallow in the film is that this the British spies don't figure out that Mater is just a tow truck. And there's kind of a a series of mix-ups that establish that. And some of them are well set up, but then there's also times where it stretches your believability in the intelligence of Michael Caine's character that he keeps saying like, oh, it's such a good cover that he's pretending to be this idiot tow truck. But then we also see several scenes where Mater actually proves really valuable to them as a spy and where he recognizes certain car parts that they wouldn't have and where he knows kind of a logic to how the villains would think that they don't. And so it does become believable that he's like, oh, okay, he's just a different type of character. But one thing that I really love is that, you know, you you see him from McQueen's perspective in the first movie and you do think, oh yeah, this is just the redneck idiot tow truck. And then he shows you some valuable things he knows later on. But in this one, most of the characters treat him pretty decently the whole way through. And it does become more and more apparent that it was just Lightning's perspective and that the world is a decent place who will not be awful to this guy and will give him the chance to prove himself if he feels so inclined to do so. Which I think sort of bleeds into the fifth and final point, which we have kind of been touching on this whole time in the Mater yeah. conversation. So the uh, the flip side of that is that Lightning McQueen is much better as a sidekick than he is as a protagonist. I think McQueen is a very boring character as a protagonist. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't really have a personality beyond... Owen Wilson, but he's one of the least Owen Wilson-ish of Owen Wilson's characters. Wow. <laughs> wow. As crazy as a road lizard. Yeah, there's no wows, um, I don't think. In, in... No, no, there's a lot of kachows, but no uh, wow. Gosh. Um, kachow is Lightning McQueen's catchphrase, and it's yes. so bad. And yeah. It's funny because it's a Larry the Cable Guy is Mater, but it's just like, and he gets a couple getter duns in at least the third movie. But it's just like, oh, this is so much more annoying than like a get her done. This kachow. Because it also like doesn't make it's not tied to anything. It's just like nonsense word. I'm cool. I'm the cool kid at school. Lightning's the like dumb cool kid at school who comes up with the catchphrase and he's the star quarterback. So nobody ever tells him like, actually, that's dumb, man. (laughs) Yeah. Lightning, when we first meet him, is 
one of the most unlikable characters Pixar's ever done. And then his arc is, you know, learning to shed all those values and that's fine. The problem is he doesn't really have any other character beyond that. And then once he gets better, that he doesn't have any character beyond just the ways we've seen him get better. So there's not like you couldn't, if I asked you to tell me like what kind of things Lightning McQueen likes to do outside of the things we specifically learn about in the script of this movie, like you probably couldn't name anything. You couldn't tell us what his home life was like. You you can't really expand on him, whereas you could with most of the other characters in this film. That's sort of the concept of Cars 3 in a bit where it's just like he doesn't know what to do after racing because all he does is race and he's just like one of those like hyper-focused athletes that sort of just this is my whole life and then it's just like uh dude you are going to be out of this by the time you're 40 and then like what are you doing <laughs> with the rest of your life yeah, and the third movie does at least, you know, explore that and address that, but then I feel like it also can't decide what it wants to say about that because it doesn't actually have him. Yeah, it kind of does, but it doesn't really decide on an arc for him. It mostly just wants him to still be the character that is the hyper-focused athlete because that's the only real personality trait that he has. Um, but you put him into the sidekick role, and suddenly he becomes the straight man to Mater's comedy. And suddenly it's really interesting to see the way he plays off of him. Instead of just constantly being annoyed by him, we get to see his arc through Mater's eyes. And we see, first of all, that he's actually grown as a character since the first one. Um, the main arc he has is being annoyed at Mater and Mater messing up one of the races and him shunning him for a while and then realizing, no, you were actually a good friend, which is the same kind of arc they sort of went through in the first movie right but this time around it really takes a lot for his friendship with Mater to be shaken and it takes very little for him to realize that it's more valuable than that and go back to it and we don't have to spend the whole movie just slowing up slowly going over it in every detail because he's not the main character that's not the main arc so we can just have it be like one person gives him one speech that says hey that guy is your best friend right so why would you want him to change and he's like oh you're right i actually really like him the way he is and he instantly then is an incredibly faithful and loyal friend for the rest of the film right and there's so many little times where he'll come to major's defense in the first half of the movie even before they've had that arc there's the whole scene where Mater is getting embarrassed by John Turturro's character on the phone and McQueen just picks up and immediately is like, hey, I don't appreciate my best friend being talked to that way and then starts one-upping John Turturro's character. And so it suddenly becomes this whole thing of like, oh, it feels good that these characters have actually grown together. And we can see that by making Mater the main character in a way we couldn't by making Lightning the main character because Mater actually is specific and does have specific things about him that we can see the reaction to, whereas Lightning pretty much in the protagonist chair always has to do the same thing, and Mater can only have the same reaction to it. Yeah, Lightning McQueen is not a super fun character, and it is better to have somebody who's at least a goofy idiot savant, if nothing else. You know, again, it's not peak Pixar either way, but it at least has a little bit more something to it than just sort of like the again having the like dumb jock be your lead and not learn a lot until like he gets bludgeoned enough times in the head to be like oh 
I should be nice to people. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I feel like kind of everyone in Cars 2 has that sort of nuance to them. It's not a nuanced script. Again, it's very obvious, but there's just a little bit more kind of them being real people who just get along with each other. Whereas in the first movie, every single character tells you what we're supposed to think about them every single time they speak. Like, I feel like the best way to look at it is look at the, not really villains, but the three main opponents for Mm -hmm. Lightning McQueen in each of the three movies. In the first movie, it's Chick Hicks, who's just the most cartoonishly unlikable character ever. Every single time he speaks, he says something that's A, you know, shows that he's just a jerk, but also B, isn't clever because the film doesn't want us to like him. And Lightning is also unlikable, so we got to make sure that we like him less than we like Lightning. And so it's just the most just badly written, obvious dialogue and then in the third movie, they give a little bit more subtlety to the character, but still, every single time he speaks, we don't see any of what right. he actually the, the wants. The third or one is what. like the young replacement car coming in, all these hotshot cars with new technology, and he's always yeah. just like, hey, old man, like, good thing you're, uh, good, I, I'm glad to finally beat you. Did you mean meet me? No, beat you. You heard me. Yeah, and that's every line. And it's so predictable and so obnoxious. And then in the second movie, you still have a character who serves that same function. And it's John Turturro's character. But there are times where he and McQueen just get along and rip each other and are kind of having a fun time with it. And it ends with the two of them racing together and having a good time, not for any competitive reason, just for the fun of it. And there's a scene where... McQueen is sad about Mater being gone and Turturro comes out uh, or Francesco comes out and is talking to him and they're in Italy and about to do their race in Italy and he says like oh McQueen I I, I understand why you feel so sad and McQueen's like yeah you're gonna insult me aren't you and he's like no no really I, I get it you're you're sad because your friend's gone I understand that like when I'm away from home I I miss my friends too and I miss my mother and I cry for her and he's like yeah, but you're going to insult me now, right? This is the part in the movie where you always insult me. It's like, no, no, really, I, I cry when my mother's gone and and I really wish to be back home. And McQueen's like, oh, okay, wow. And then he's like, but I am back home and my mother's right there in the stands. And he waves to his mom <laughs> yeah. and she waves to him. And you're still hey, alone, mom, gonna, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to kick McQueen's butt. He's really sad today. He's being a big crybaby. He's definitely going to lose. Right. So it's still the same setup that we have in the other two movies, but it just gives it a little bit more actual dimension and a little bit more capability of surprising you with how he's going to interact with him. And it just feels, when you watch all three of these movies in close succession to each other, it feels like someone's releasing a pressure valve every time someone surprises you in any way like that because they're so predictable in how the characters are going to act. And when someone who's written to be this kind of two-dimensional character just responds with a little more nuance than you think, it, it feels so much better. All right. Well, those are five defense points in support of Cars 2 being at least the best Cars movie, if not a stunningly amazing movie, which I don't think is your general argument. No, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, if I was ranking all the Pixar movies, this one would probably be somewhere in the middle, maybe lower middle. Um, But I think Cars 1 and Cars 3 would be probably pretty firmly my bottom two. Like, I can't think of another one that even really comes that close to those two. I think this one just, I'm able to let my hair down and have a good time with it. And sometimes that's all you need. 
Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of any of these movies. I just, uh, watching them, they, I'd avoided them the whole time until this podcast, basically, because I knew they had the <laughs> reputation as the worst Pixar movies. But I would say probably, yeah, Cars 3 is definitely the weakest of the three, I feel like. Even though it, like, sort of gets me, like, at least the emotional part at the very conclusion is somewhat okay, but, like, up until then, it very much seems like almost like an episode of TV as opposed to like an actual movie. Like mm-hmm. it just seems like if oh, if it was like Cars the animated show, this would have been just like a normal weekly episode of it. But yeah, Cars two at least definitely at least tries for a lot more and is exploring the idea of oh, the world of cars a lot more fully. So with that in mind, let's uh, hop into the junk drawer and get any other assorted points that sort of didn't fit into your defense points. Is there anything you'd want to start with on this? Um, yeah, I, they, I think just it's unfair the reputation this movie does have, and I think the movies have cemented that. I didn't realize until I watched through them this time that Cars 3 does just completely jar jar Cars 2 out of existence. Like, there is absolutely nothing from Cars 2 that is exclusive to that movie that then reappears in Cars 3. None of the spy characters are mentioned again. Mater has a tiny part in the third one. Like, it really feels like the third one is an apology for the second one, and that's why I feel so inspired to define it. I don't know if it's a Jar Jar as much as it's sort of a a Rise of Skywalker, where it's just like, that last movie, eh, eh, what if we uh, just kind of went back to what we... What if I'm J.J. Abrams and I went back to what I did in the first movie? Can I, what else can I rehash? That's kind of my lane. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how it feels. And I just wish, you know, if a third movie had still put the, as much care into making it feel good and authentic, but then did something different with it, then I'd be like, yeah, sure, that's fine. You can erase the second movie and do something different. But to have it go back and do, and I watched like, a few featurettes on the making of each of them and everyone behind the scenes on cars three talks about, Oh, we've got to go back to that one, that cars one feeling. None of them ever mentioned that cars two exists yet. They still call it cars one. So weird. Um, So yeah, just, and it just feels like, why would you dislike a movie for trying different things. And I I get if you really loved the first one and then felt like it lost its way with the second one, that's one thing. But if you didn't like the first one, why would you rather see the first one done again? Like, why do people say, oh, well, the first, you know, the Cars movies aren't that good, but the second one is the worst because it's the stupidest. It's like, all three of them are stupid. If you're going to watch a stupid kids movie, then have it be fun and have it be different and have it try to do a bunch of different things, not just be the exact same thing again. So I I would like more movies to take inspiration from Cars 2 specifically. Yeah, it does. You know, that I think that had to have been a response about, you know, trying to make it more like Cars 1 to like the critical because, again, Cars 2 made more money than the first one and certainly made more money than the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't really know what that is. Again, I feel like that the Star Wars sequel trilogy is probably a good corollary in that sense because it's just like, wait, what, are you just responding to like a small, like this portion of the fan base that does not like this and thinking that's like the predominant feeling of everything? Um, Because, I mean, again, it's just like, I don't know, one was a, you know, 
40% Rotten Tomatoes, one was 70%. I don't know. In those middle grounds, it's sort of like, you know, a lot of the bad reviews of Cars 2 or a lot of the good reviews are sort more in the middling territory. So it wasn't like, oh, we made a bomb that you need to, like, do a hard right turn however it is in the first one you got to turn right to turn left or whatever it is in order to get away from that that seems like a weird reaction especially when it is such a box office hit yeah and yeah again if if i was really affectionate for the first one if i was a kid when it came out then maybe i would have a different opinion if a movie of this quality was a sequel to toy story then i would think it was terrible but i feel like they did so much with so little foundation and they took it in so many directions that I wasn't expecting it to go. And I'm never going to begrudge a movie for trying out as much different stuff as it can, even if it doesn't all work. And I think the more I've watched it, the more I feel like a surprising amount of it actually does. I think the the action scenes are really great. Some of the humor is fun. All of the visuals are great in all of the different settings that we go to. Um, and the characters are more likable here than they are in any of the other films. So, yeah, a lot of it's stupid. Don't go in expecting a masterpiece if you're convinced to watch it based on this, but do go in expecting to just have a fun time. Another thing, I I sort of touched on this earlier, but it is sort of these movies, I think maybe because it's sort of came out around the time when like, is NASCAR going to be the next big sport? And it never really like materialized, but it does have across all three movies. There are just some like, especially for Pixar, weirdly like conservative, like mm-hmm. tent poles that they're touching on. You know, as you say, like the first and third ones are sort of like change is bad. Don't do that. The first one is very much like small towns is where like the real people are. Yeah. And despite there only being two minorities in the town. <laughs> and then even like Cars 2, it's like weirdly. So it's like it straddles this line of like in the end, I think you're supposed to be like, alternative fuels are good but see it's just like these bad guys doing it but essentially like sort of the villain for a lot of this is just like oh alternative fuels they're what makes you like blow up and then at the end like the winning thing is revealing that the guy behind alternative fuels is actually bad and that we go back to like a fully like gas world (laughs) yeah you know it, maybe it's a little like elon musk where it's just like ah see teslas those are good and it's just like i'm not sure if this guy's good uh yeah it's it ultimately ends on a pro alternative fuel message but it spends most of the movie saying anyone who puts wants to put something new in your body is untrustworthy and nothing that <laughs> could save the planet can be trusted yeah and Don't. so yeah it does a little too little too late to not have that be the yeah, takeaway. it's like hey uh putting vaccines in your body is bad okay you know what it actually is good but we said it was bad for like an hour and a half but like mm-hmm. in the end it's good so listen to that yeah. part listen to the final one minute of the movie <laughs> Also, like, part of it, like, uh, this is a Cars 1 point, not a Cars 2 point, but, like, the whole Radiator Springs being, like, abandoned because the interstate comes through, it's just, like, this is just horrible, like, urban or, like, city road planning, where it's just, like, and they show an exit off to Radiator Springs in, like, the credits, but it, for the most of the movie, it seems like, oh, the only way you can get here is, like, by accident if you made a wrong turn it's just like how in the desert 
in the middle of the desert, there's not like an off ramp to this place that has like tires and food and gas. It's just like, wait, why are there? It should be just like, oh, no, we're doing fine because everybody has to stop here because we're in the middle of the desert. And this is we have offer everything you need. There's lodging and there's services. And it's just like, oh, we decided not to build an off ramp there until the credits, I guess. Uh, because then it became a tourist destination, but it's just like, this is just, don't be mad at <laughs> the world for ignoring you. Be mad at whoever planned this, that they didn't just yeah. like do an off ramp. Yeah. Yeah. The one other thing I would say um, is there is a ton of detail put into the actual inside jokes for Cars fans, literal Cars fans in these movies, all of the Cars are actual models that are appropriate to their characters' ages and have all these backstories. There's a lot of detail work put into designing each one, what bumper stickers are used, what, you know, where their tires have treads, like every single thing was finely researched. But I don't know anything about cars and I don't know anything about NASCAR and I don't really have any interest in that culture. And on the one hand, you could say, well, that just means this movie isn't for you. But I also don't have any interest in the history of toys or the history of fish. And I liked when Pixar did movies about them. Like it feels like all of that comes at the expense of really baking that into the reason you enjoy the movie. So I, I do want to say that the people who worked on all three cars movies did a stellar job of designing them well and putting a lot of hard work and detail into it, but it just didn't really come across for someone who wasn't looking for those kind of things. Right. And you know, as you, I guess I should mention this, as you mentioned, there's lots of the little details about jokes where it's like a lot of the characters, especially when they're real life, there's lots of real life, like racing commentators or drivers mm -hmm. that like get pun names. So it's like Brett Musburger is Brett Mustang Burger and, mm -hmm. you know, things of that. Daryl Waltrip is Daryl Car Trip. And then it is weird because sometimes they aren't so like. Jeff Gordon is Jeff Gorvet, but then Lewis Hamilton is just Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just, he's like, I don't know. You got a little bit lazy on some of these. Uh, yeah. We're just going to go full puns. Yeah. Like, Cause they only puns was the only decision choice they went for. And so like, this isn't a movie about cars. It's just a movie about people where they made the aesthetic choice to design them as cars and so if you didn't have an obvious pun to make, like there during the end credits, one of the gags is they're at the movie theater in the first movie and credits, they're at the movie theater and they're watching other Pixar movies. And it's kind of cute because they have the actual voice actors playing their Pixar equivalent. I roles. should say car versions of the other Pixar movies. Yes. So it's just like so they're watching toy car story and it's toy cars and it's like, ah, oh, that's okay. You know, I get it. And then they're watching monsters, monster trucks, Inc. or whatever. And it's like, okay. And then the third one is just a bug's life and the characters are bugs. They're VWs. So it's like, okay, that's a pun sort of, but you didn't actually change the title. It's still just the title of bug's life. So you're making me do the work to figure out that that's wordplay by watching the movie, it's like you couldn't have come up with some other thing that actually changes the title. Or just to like a VW joke. Bugs Life or something. Yeah. You know? Like also, and, I do, I do like the joke though that they use the same voice actor over and over. 
yeah, and that's cute. And uh, yeah, that it's uh, John Ratzenberger right. Uh, right. watching himself in all these different roles. So there's a lot of fun stuff like that, but it just feels like they didn't, they just decided when and when not to build the universe based on when it was convenient, right. not based on the right. fact that that was the actual premise of the movie and what they wanted to commit to doing. The only other thing that I have for the junk drawer is I feel like we need to talk about the closing credit song, which <laughs> is a called Collisions of World. It's a song, a duet oh, yes. between Brad Paisley and Robbie Williams and, you know, the uh, American country star and the British pop star. And it is essentially them doing a British versus U.S. like rap battle. <laughs> and it is very bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, for for a selection of lyrics. It, it's things like right lane, left lane, metric, imperial, pounds, dollars, howdy, cheerio. It's just like, oh, my. It's just like, you know, these movies are often derided as sort of being like the lowest common denominator Pixar movie. And it's just like almost like they designed like if it was a joke. Like you couldn't come up if you were trying to make fun of how dumb like the Cars movies are, <laughs> like in a SNL skit, like you couldn't come up with a better song <laughs> as like this is how dumb this is than the song that they actually use sincerely at the end of these credits. Yeah, that's that's fair. I'll give you that one. I was going to try and watch some of the, just on the note of how prolific this franchise is, like you mentioned the merchandise, this is, you know, a, a film that is designed to sell as many toys as possible, but uh, I was going to watch all the shorts that they have on Disney+, Plus. so I was like, oh, that'd be a fun thing for the junk drawer, I can see if there's any of those that are good, because there's been a bunch of, like, spin-off shorts, mostly with Mater. Yeah, some and of them then I think are labeled cartoons, car. Yes, cartoons, that's that's cute enough. Um, More puns. But All the puns. Then I, I typed cars into Disney Plus and I discovered just how many of those shorts there have been. <laughs> and I didn't bother because it's insane how much they've milked this franchise that I didn't even realize. I did also, uh, back when we first, because we initially planned this for last year and then we postponed it. And at that time, I watched the two Planes movies as well, the two spinoffs that were not done by Pixar done by like disney tune or whatever and they're both very bad don't watch them uh but yeah they're also very racist the much more problematic in terms of all the things the questions that it raises wait about how, how, how are these planes racist well for one thing like you mentioned earlier that the tractors are cows in this universe and right. that makes you wonder in the first planes movie they go to india and there's a whole played completely straight and sincerely monologue that a character has about how tractors are sacred in this culture. And that's him learning about a foreign place. And it's like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that you can't just transpose and say, ah, yes, it's tractors. Now we're, we're commodifying your religion for a car joke. Like it's that kind of thing all the way through. And there's a lot more characters who are just voiced by actors who are really leaning into the kind of stereotypical elements um, the second one is a little bit better. Uh, it's a better movie as a whole, and it's got fewer stereotypes in it, but still has a few. But yeah, don't watch the Planes movies. And if you've watched yeah. any of the Cars shorts, good luck to you, because there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, If so if, if you thought the Cars were bad, if you have a low opinion of Cars, 
avoid planes at all costs. Yeah. Awesome. Well, before we get out of here, Kevin, is there anything you would like to plug? Um, yeah, as always, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is There Will Be FUD. FUD, like Elmer FUD, F-U-D-D. Got some videos on there, a lot more Disney videos. I've got one about Snow White, uh, Pinocchio. Um, I'm working on one right now about Fantasia, and I'm doing another one to celebrate the four Pinocchio movies coming out this year. I'm doing one ranking 27 different versions of Pinocchio that I've watched over the past few months. Yes, so that'll be fun if you want to see a lot of mini reviews of different Pinocchio movies packed into one video. Keep an eye on the channel. And then... Uh, I'll also shout out our uh, 5K that we're doing. My wife and I are doing uh, Refuse to Abuse 5K at T-Mobile Park, July 9th, I believe. And uh, it's, yeah, to uh, help combat domestic abuse and raise awareness and help for survivors. And uh, you can donate if you go to, if you just look up Refuse to Abuse or it's through uh, WISCADAV, Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence. There should be some information on there about how you can donate, or it's also on my Facebook. If you're friends with me, you can come find me there. But yeah, so that's what I'm up to. But other than that, not much. All right, great. Well, thank you again for coming on once again. Maybe sometime you will choose a topic that doesn't require (laughs) me to watch a million movies, but who knows when that will be. What's for for a junk drawer fun? What's your favorite of the eleven movies I've made you watch so far? Oh, this? okay, of the eleven. So we have done Home Alone. Kevin as Kevin's episodes so far. If you want to go back and listen, are Evil Dead the new one is better than the original Evil Dead, and Home Alone three. So for those, I basically watched. All three original Evil Dead movies, plus the newer Evil Dead movie, and all three Home Alone original Home Alone movies, plus the new one that came out last year, and then this, I've watched all three Cars movies. So out of those movies, let's see. I would probably say the original Evil Dead is maybe my favorite. I mean, well, yeah, I'd say the original Evil Dead is very good. The original Home Alone is, of course, very good. And then I would probably put the newer Evil Dead as number three. I am not quite as big an Evil Dead 2 person or Army of Darkness person as most. Um, out of the out of the films that you actually are defending on each of them, I would probably rank them Evil Dead, the newer one, then Home Alone 3, then Cars 2. I don't know. Those two are closer. The evil, the newer Evil Dead is by far the best of the three of those, I would say, in terms of just like if I had to watch one, even though it is the least easy to stomach. I'm, if you're looking <laughs> for a good time, I would suggest Home Alone 3 or Cars 2, unless your good time is a lot of practical effects and nails going through body parts and severing of own one's own jaw and falling off arms and chainsaws. Some of that blood. does happen in cars too. All, all, Oh yeah. I was just talking about cars too. There. That was all car- things that happened in cars too. Definitely not in evil dead. Anyway, actually Home Alone three is very violent. Well, all three yeah. of these are surprisingly violent movies. Yeah. For a cars movie, you pick the most violent one. For an Evil Dead movie, you pick the most violent one. And for a Home Alone movie, 
I don't think you pick the most violent one. I feel like the newer one and Home Alone 2 might be slightly more violent, though nobody is pulled away like on a gurney, like contorted like they do at the end <laughs> of Home Alone 3. So anyway, <laughs> with that digression, thanks for coming on again, Kevin. I will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. (laughs) 